Well, hey, welcome to Freedom Church. I am glad that you're here, especially if it's your first time. We are starting a new series this morning, Book of James. And uh, I love that. I, lo- I love coming to the beginning. I love it when we kick off a new series, and uh, especially this one. This one, this one's a little different. Uh, we're we're going to take you through an entire book of the Bible, and uh, I'm I'm really excited about uh, this book in particular. Uh, the Book of James, by the way, uh, incredibly relevant book for us right now, just as a culture, just where we're at in this moment in in history. Like this, I, I just think for our church, it doesn't get much more relevant than. Then the book of James. James, by the way, is this is incredibly practical person who wrote a very practical book for us. And so uh, this is going to be. I, I, how's this? I, I'm confident that if if you've struggled to maybe build the bridge or draw the connection between, okay, I believe this, but how does this look in my life, and how do I make this real and practical for my life? I'm I'm telling you this. This series is gonna is gonna be that bridge for you. The book of James is that bridge for you to make your make your faith very real in, in your life. Now, James, I'm gonna give you some backstory about James. James's father was a carpenter. He comes from a very blue-collar family, and I'm sure none of you can relate to this. He's very hardworking, very action-oriented. I got a feeling when James got around people who like to pontificate about different ideas. He's the guy that would probably look at you and go, okay, what has that got to do with me and what are we doing about it? Like that's, I think that's probably James. He's, like I said, super, super practical. And, and that's what this series is all about because James is all about this, all about faith is working and it's, it's moving, it's acting. Our faith needs to be in motion. That's what we're going to talk about. That's what James talks about. He, in fact, page for page, there is, there's no other book in the, in the New Testament, page for page, that actually addresses, directly addresses Jesus' teaching more than James. I mean, he, he, he's tackling the teachings of, of Jesus. I mean, he's t- you, you go through the Sermon on the Mount and, and you, you, you compare that to what James is doing. I mean, he's just going through it. And what he's doing is, he's, again, he's drawing that bridge and, he's, and he's, he's not saying it directly, but he's going, he's counting on that you're going to remember what Jesus taught you. And then here he comes, and now he's making it really practical for you and me. You could think of it as James, as Jesus' teachings applied to the church. Now, there's, uh, there's such thing as the, the called wisdom literature. Maybe you've heard this in Scripture. There's wisdom literature. So you think of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. And so this is kind of, this is, there's some people that would put James in the same category. This is wisdom literature. So you can almost think of it like, like he's like Solomon, except without all the money and without all the women. That's what James is. So here's James. Now you got to know this. James and Jesus go way back. They're brothers. Okay. This is James is Jesus's little brother. Okay. So, so they, they, they go way, way back. They, they have a, an incredible family. Their, their, their parents, Mary and Joseph, fantastic parents and no doubt very faithful parents. Uh, they, they, they would have been teaching their kids. Our kids would have known Old Testament scriptures, Jewish scriptures faithfully. It would have been, a, it would have been a regular daily part of their life. And so, you know, James, James has grown up, honestly, in a very, I, I would think based on everything that we can see, in a very ideal home. He's, he's had a lot going for him, very faithful family. And so he would, have, he would have grown up hearing certain ideas about God. He would have grown up hearing certain things and, and, and having an idea about 
who God is, like Yahweh, God, the creator, God, the God. He would have have grown up hearing certain things. He would have grown up with verses like this. You thought we were going to James, by the way. We're not going there first. I got somewhere else we're going. I tricked you. Okay, here's the first one. He would have grown up with verses like this. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Like this is the God that James serves. It's everything. It's the expanse, all of it. It's God's. Deuteronomy 10, 14. Behold, the Lord your God belongs that to, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, and the earth and everything in it. Like everything, what you see here on earth and everything you see beyond earth and the night sky, like this is God. James, this is the God that James worships. He would have been familiar with this one. Job 41:11. Who has given to me? This is this is God speaking to Job. He says, Who has given to me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven is mine. This is God speaking. This is the God James worships. However, John 7 verse 5 tells us, when it came to Jesus being the Messiah, that not even his own brothers believed in him. James does not believe that his brother is the Messiah. What? This, this, there's a problem here. Not even his brothers believe. So let's go to James and let's see how it starts. This is James verse, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. What changed? Because that's, that's a big change. He went from not believing in him to equating him like he puts him on the same level here as God, the creator of the universe. Now he's calling him the Lord Jesus Christ. What has changed for James? I'll tell you what changed. Resurrection. So he was dead and then he wasn't and then he was alive and you know, if somebody died and you watched them suffer, First Corinthians tells us that Jesus actually came to him after he resurrected. I mean, I don't know. Somebody dies, you watch them suffer, they die, they go, and then they reappear, they sit down, they have some dinner with you. You're like, oh, you know what? I think you might be who you say you were. Like, this is very compelling evidence that you are who you say you are in this moment. And that's what it was. That's what happened. Jesus, his brother comes back and says, James, I told you. I would think, and I really hope he apologized in that moment. Like, you know, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't believe you. I doubted you. I would hope. I would hope he would have apologized in that moment. I'm sure he did. But I love it. I love it because James, even in this moment, this very first verse, he, has a, he's, he doesn't even say, and he could. He could say, hey, I'm the apostle of apostles. He could have said that because I, I, I'm, I'm convinced. There is nobody that knows Jesus like James knew Jesus. He knew him. Listen, he was his brother. Like they lived together. They were in very close proximity. How many of y'all know when it comes to siblings, you're very aware of each other's faults. That's just family. That's just family. I, I can just imagine how difficult it would have been. I mean, that had to have been a little difficult for James because James is not Jesus. He's not perfect. I can imagine they're fighting in the other room. There's Mary. Kids, what's going on in the other room? And James is going, oh, Jesus did this. Okay, okay, James. I think we know whose fault it is. Why don't you just go ahead and get it over with? You know, just, just, you do it. You know, you need to do it. Like Jesus, we know, we know who was at fault. 
That's James. WWJD, what would James do? Nobody, nobody says it. Nobody's saying that. Like, it's all his brother. His brother's getting it off. So he knows him. He knows him. And here's the thing. He, he also knows if there's fault, if there's, if there's any cracks in, the, in his integrity, any cracks in his character, James is going to know about it. He's going to remember. But he doesn't. He comes here. He doesn't say, I'm the apostle of apostles. He doesn't say, listen to me. I know Jesus better than anybody. I can vouch for him. He says, no, I'm just a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They are one in the same. This is a triune God, and he's the one. He's not my brother. I don't even count it. I don't even want to let you know that I'm, that I'm even connected. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to put myself in anywhere near. He's the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is James, and that is pretty compelling. That's a pretty compelling testimony right there in and of itself. This is his brother worshiping him because he's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that verse, it goes on. It says, to the tribes in the dispersion. To the tribes in the dispersion. So this is written, this is, this is um, most people recognize this as the earliest written book in the New Testament. So this is written uh, before any of the epistles from Paul or anything like that. And so this is written to a, a church that is experiencing a lot of lots of persecution. Not necessarily martyrdom just yet. There is some. Stephen's, Stephen's been martyred at this point. And because Stephen's been martyred, and there's a lot of social and governmental um, pressure. The, the church has dispersed. Like they're, 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 they've been spread out all over the place. And because they've been spread out, I mean, they don't... By the way, I know none of you can relate to this. Like this is not... This part doesn't really relate to our culture. It's like there's a lot of social and government pressure here to just, they just want to live a faithful life to, to Jesus. And yet there's this sort of like government intrusion into their life that's stopping them from doing that. This is, this, nobody here understands this, right? We've never seen this anywhere. And then as a result of that, there's like this exodus, right? They're like, they're moving to all these other, see, maybe, maybe like this. This is, this might be a stretch, but you know, maybe, just maybe, maybe it's like they're all in these like blue cities in Israel and then they have all this like pressure and so now they're like fleeing to the red portions of it. It could be something, it could be something like that. I know that's terrible, but you get the picture. That's what's happening here. There's a lot of pressure and they're spreading out. So here they are. There's a lot of this government that they just want to live a free and faithful life to Jesus, except there's a lot of social and economic hardship that's coming along with this. See, they don't, what's happening is that you've got, you've got Jewish Christians, Christians who they're not accepted by the Jewish community, which is the social pressure that they're experiencing. They're, they're Christians, and so they're not, they're, they're being rejected by the government as a whole. And so the, it's a bunch of Christians who find themselves with no national identity. They're, they're in a really difficult spot. I mean, how many of y'all know when you move to a new community, right? It helps to have a few connections. So people who can point you in the right direction, give you, give you a little bit of a, you know, a little leg up and just be like, hey, I know a guy that can give you a job. I know a guy that can get you going. Like, it, we, right? We can relate to that. They don't got that. Like, this is what they're experiencing in, in this moment. There's a lot of social and economic hardship. And he's writing when he says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, he's not just writing to, to Jews. What he's saying, he recognizes that in Jesus Christ, that you and I as followers of Jesus now enter into the Abrahamic covenant with him. And so he's writing to all Christians abroad, all of them. He's writing to all of us. That's who he's writing to. And so here they are. Here's the church spread out. And he begins to write this this letter, 
And he wants to, he wants to encourage all of us. And let's go on. This is verse two. This is what he says. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. This is, there's a couple major themes through this whole book. This is one of them right here. Count it all joy. Let me just start off. I recognize, I recognize the social and economic hardship that you're under, but let's, let me start off with this right here. Count it all joy. See, what James is going to show us through this book, through this series that we're going to go through, is that trials are a sort of like paradoxical gift. Like it doesn't really make sense because on the outside, it shouldn't be a gift. But, but with God, it can be. With God, it, it actually can produce incredible things in us. Like this is, this, what he's saying in this moment, like count it all joy, what he's, what he's recognizing is that, is that with God, God's able to turn things around for you. Like, God, he, he would have remembered Joseph talking to his brothers and saying something like, listen, you, what you meant for my harm, what you meant for my destruction, like God actually used to like turn things around and benefit you and other people. And he's saying, listen to me, that's the God we serve. So count it all joy. Count it all joy. And then he says that, 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 that phrase there toward the end, that you may be perfect and complete. And I hear that and I'm just like, man, that's a, that's a high bar. Be perfect. That, that's, I'm not sure what, what am I supposed to do with that? Be, be perfect. Here's a, here's a, you got to understand it. But by the way, this might surprise you, but it actually says, the scripture says that Jesus was made perfect through his suffering. Jesus made perfect through his suffering. What is it saying? I thought, I thought Jesus was perfect. Yeah, he was. But how many y'all know that there's a difference? There's experiential knowledge that you gain. Like it's one thing to go, I know that that hurts. It's another thing to touch the stove and go, I know that that hurts. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's an experiential knowledge that's, that's gained. Jesus made perfect through his suffering. And when he says that, he repeats this word. You're going to see this a few times through James. It means complete, like, the, like a wholeness. He's talking about integrity. Like he, he recognizes that what, what God's intention for all of us, for every one of us, is to be whole. But this is what James also recognizes. He recognizes that we're all fractured too. Like he, he knows that you and I are not perfect. He realizes like we're fractured. We have often significant inconsistencies in our character. We're, we're compromised people. James realizes that. This is a, this is a huge, this is a huge thing for the book of James because he's going, okay, it's so that you may be perfect because he realizes that that's what God intended us to be. But we're fractured people. And the whole book of James is, is for us to go, okay, how do I go from, how do I close the gap? How do I close the gap in my integrity? Because I know what I believe. I believe the scripture, but my, but my integrity says something different. There's a, there's a gap there. And James is all about closing that gap. There's fractures. Let's fill the fractures. There's compromise. Let's fill that in. That's what James is about. Now, some of us, some of us have, have a, a very romantic perspective about the early church. We think about the early church and we read Acts and we go, see, we just got to get back to that. Like, if we could just get back to those, to those early days, like, man, that's when there was, there was a pureness 
to the church back in the early days in the, the first century early church. Listen to me. They had a lot of problems back then. Lots of problems. In fact, they had problems on a scale that would absolutely put Freedom Church in the news. Probably the national news. Like, they had some issues in the early church. I mean, if you read some of this stuff that Paul's addressing in the early church, boy, he's like an incest. In the, like he's writing letters to it. And then I think all of us would be like, you know what? I'm glad you addressed that, Paul. But let's not make that part of Scripture. Like, let's, let's scrub that part. No, they're like, hey, that's, let's make that part of the Bible now. Let's, like, let's carry this reputation on for ages. That's what they did. Like, you want to talk about the, some problems, man. They, got, they had a lot of problems, lots of divisions in the church. Lots of people with a lot of different ideas. And this is what James is addressing. And he's saying, hey, there's a, there's a process. There's a process from being fractured people to whole people. There's a, there's a way that we can, we can go from being a people who are compromised and with huge gaps in our integrity to people who are whole, who look like Jesus. There's a way that we can do that. And here's what you need to see. Becoming like Jesus, and this is what James is going to teach us, begins with wisdom. Becoming like Jesus begins with wisdom. This is James chapter 1, verse 5. This is the next, next verse. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Here's what that means. You ask, the answer is yes. That's what it means. You're lacking some wisdom. You got decisions to make. I need some ask. The answer is yes. There's really no qualifiers here. I'm trying to figure out where's the qualifier at. Um, ask. That's the qualifier. You got to ask. And when you ask, the answer is yes. And there's a few places. There's a few places that we primarily can be people who gain some wisdom. Like there's, there's some, there's some, primary ways that we can gain wisdom. Here, here's, here's a few of them. Here, you can pull the next one up. Hey, his spirit, his word, and his people. See, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, can, can give you wisdom in the moment. In fact, this is, this is you know, a lot of, we, we have some experiences, and we can gain some wisdom from our experiences. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit that can redeem our experiences, and gain, we can gain some wisdom there. But it requires us to get quiet. Like you're, you're going to have to, you are going to have to get quiet in order to, to do this. His word, like we got to be learners. I don't, I mean, as much as I wish it was the case, but like my Bible on the shelf will not, will not like mystically jump off. Like the wisdom doesn't jump out of the book and into my brain as much as I wish it did. It doesn't really work like that. Like we got to be learners. We actually got to open the Bible, right? That's, a, that's another source of wisdom. And then his people. Like God's put people in your life. That's one of the things I love about dual story that he shared earlier, that there's people strategically placed in your life to help you and to give you a hand and to instill wisdom into your life. But here's the thing. It requires some humility. It requires a little bit of humility to actually be willing to listen, to be willing to receive. Here's the next verse in James, verse 6. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. You shouldn't suppose he's going to receive anything. What, what, what's, this, what's this mean exactly? Because we, we, I know we, we tend to kind of take this our own direction because we're still talking about wisdom here. Like ask, just ask in faith. Don't ask doubting. So what's it look like then when I'm doubting and I'm not asking in faith, like with the expectation that, yes, God answers me. I'm faithful to him. He's faithful to me. I'm asking for wisdom. The answer is Yes, and here, here's what it is. Like, instead of getting quiet, right, because we want to receive wisdom from the Spirit, instead of getting quiet, we just get busy, right? It's like, well, I, I don't really got time for that. And it's like, I'm asking for wisdom, and then I just get back to the running and the, and the running and more running. And it's like, I, I, don't, get, I don't get quiet. And that's, that's a moment where I'm not, actually, I'm, not, I'm not actually asking in faith in that moment or or. Instead of learning, instead of going, I, I, I want, I'm asking for wisdom and then opening my Bible, I just kind of let it sit there and collect some dust, right? It's like, I'm not, I'm not a learner. Like, that's, that's a moment where I'm not, I'm not asking in faith. I'm, I'm doubting. Or, or instead, of, instead of getting around certain people in my life and actually exercising a little bit of humility and just going, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to receive. No, we, we just get suspicious of everybody around us. What's, what's your angle here? Right? Everybody, everybody been there before? Hey, what, 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 why, why are you trying to talk to me about that? It's like, don't you know you're supposed to take the plank out of your own eye? Like, we, we come up with like our things that we like to tell people, right? It's like we, get, we get suspicious. We need to ask in faith. We need to ask in faith and not doubt. This is the next verse, verse 8. He says that when you do that, like when, 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 you, when you get busy and you start ignoring and you become suspicious and you become this person who's not really in faith, but you begin to doubt. He says you become a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. And see, and this right here, this is a point of decision. This is a decision point for, for every one of us. Like we, we come to the point where we need wisdom. We want to follow God. We want to move from being compromised to being whole. And there's going to be a decision point. And here's the decision. Anxiety. Or trust. Like, what, what am I going to do in this moment? And I'm, am I going to be anxious or am I going to trust? This is what James is teaching us in this, in this moment. See, this is about trust. Like, wisdom in the process of becoming, going from fractured to whole, from compromise to a person of integrity. Like, it's about trust. It's about trust and it's about trust regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our, our circumstances. See, asking for wisdom in faith is about not doubting God's character, even though things may be working against me. Like, it doesn't look like it's going my way, but I'm choosing to trust. Not, not anxiety, I'm going to choose to trust, even when it doesn't really look like it's going my way. Does that make sense? Yeah, this doesn't look good, but you know what? In this moment, I'm just I'm I'm going to trust regardless of what my circumstances are saying. This is this next verse. Let's read this together. This is verse nine. He says, "Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, for the sun rises in its scorching heat, 
and, uh, and, and withers with the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I, I, it says in Psalms, and James would have been thinking about this too. It says in Psalm 62 that the lowly, that the lowly are but a vapor and the rich are but a lie. So what, what, what does that mean? Because this isn't just saying, depending on the translation that you have in your Bible, it, it's not just saying rich and poor. This isn't just about socioeconomic status here. He's saying the lowly and the high. The, the people who are, things are going well and things are not going well. Like That's what he's talking about. It's the lowly and the high. It very well can mean those who are well off financially and those who are not. It can mean that as well. And he's saying in this moment, like, listen, when we're low, like whatever your circumstances, if it's lowly, just boast in this, that when you're down here, but when you're in Jesus, there will come a time when Jesus exalts you. And if you're up here right now, just remember this. You can't hold a candle next to Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's like, I, I know that, praise God, help other people, but don't forget, next to God, this is nothing. It ain't, it ain't good. Lowly or high, you need to, you need to see your, your circumstances in perspective. As, as we go through this series, there's going to be a time we're going to come back. Oh, by the way. If you read James chapter 1, it's sort of an introduction to so much more of the rest of the book. And so there's so many of these things that we're hitting on through chapter 1 that he's going to revisit later on through James. And so we're going to talk about this like rich and poor. Listen, there's a difference. It's possible there's godly rich and ungodly rich. There's godly poor. There's ungodly poor. There's other, we're going to dive into that, into this series. But right now, here's what James is saying. He's saying, whether it's poverty or wealth, whether it's lowly status or a high status that characterizes your circumstances, see your circumstances as a gift. That's what he's saying in this moment. See it as a gift. Does that mean, does that, mean that it's God's will for you that you would be impoverished? No. No, I don't, I don't, I don't see that in Scripture I don't see that it's as well that you live an impoverished life. Poverty is a characteristic of the curse of the law. That's very clear in Scripture. It's not poverty that it's necessarily His will for your life. But it's saying this, if your circumstances today are characterized by lack, just know this. Just know this. That's not who you are in Christ. And God is able to take those things in your life and turn them back around for your favor, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Like you can do that. He can do that for you. That's what this is. I think about what God promised the nation of Israel, and yet they fled to Egypt because they were starving. They were starving. That's hard for most all of us to really wrap our heads around. You have to move because your family will die. You are starving to death, yet they were promised a great nation. What is that about? And then here in in the middle of all that, there's this guy, Joseph, and he says, hold on a second, hold on a second. What was meant for destruction, what was meant for harm, no, 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 no. God is able to use that, turn that around, and do something really special with it. Only God can do that, by the way. Only God, only God can do that. And because he can do that, and because we see that, because we can see our circumstances as a gift, because this is what James is teaching us to do, because of that, because we can trust God, he says, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Like, keep going. Keep going to your small group. Keep moving forward. Keep coming to church. Stay steadfast. Be committed. Don't isolate yourself. Keep going. Be steadfast. 
Be steadfast. Look at verse 12. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Stay steadfast. Hear me. Pull up the next slide. To remain steadfast under trial, we need to see Jesus in the trial. To stay steadfast in the middle of our circumstances, we have to be able to see Jesus in it. Like with us. I think one of the things I, I'm, I, I love about Scripture, what I love about the character of God is that He's not a distant God. And I know sometimes He can feel that way. But when I read these Old Testament stories, when I, when I read these, then I read these incredible stories, it, there's a detail that's often overlooked, and it's that God comes down. God comes down to see. God comes down to, to listen. God comes down to intervene. God comes down, like, He is the God that doesn't stay out there. He's the God that comes to us. And then, and then He really came to us in the, in the, in, in the form of Jesus Christ. Like, He really did. Like, He came. Like, I love that about, about God's character. We can see him in the middle. He's not a distant God. He's a close God. So why? Like, why, why can we, we trust him? Like, wh- why? What, 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 what is this about? You, here's some things you got to remember about Jesus. You, you got to remember about this about Jesus because, because to be able to see him in your circumstances, you, you have to understand the life that he lived. You can't forget Jesus was lied to. He was lied about, he was maligned, he was betrayed, he was uh, uh, hated, abused, beaten, and eventually he was murdered. Like, and I know, and I, I know, aren't you glad you came to church? You're not exempt. Woo! I know that, isn't that such a, so encouraging? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we're following Jesus. Like, we're not exempt, we follow him. That's who we're following. And, and where did he lead? He, he walked right through that. That's what he, he walked through. We're not exempt. We're following him. And so in the middle of our trial, in the middle of what's coming at us, in the middle of the hardship and the overwhelming sense and, and that friend that didn't, that's betrayed us and that family member that's letting us down and our, and, and that friendship that just sort of like separated. We don't know what happened. That person at work who just seems to really be trying to get me fired or whatever your circumstances may be. Like you, you, you gotta be, you gotta remember, you gotta be able to see Jesus in the middle of what you're doing in the middle of your life. You need to remember this too. God doesn't promise easy life. He promises new life. New life. That's what he says. Like I, I, he says, be steadfast under the trial because you're going to receive, if you can stay steadfast and you can stay in Jesus, you're going to receive the crown of Life. He's not promising the easy path, but he is promising you a new life. There is something, there is a hope at the end of that. So how do I know then? How do I know that I can trust God? How, how do I know then that, that God is reliable? Like, how do I know that I can, I can do this? How do I know I can trust him, that he's reliable? How do I know that he has my best interest in mind? How, what do I, how do I know this? Well, we know for the same reason that James now refers to his older brother as the Lord Jesus Christ. Like we know for the, for the same reason. Because he may have been, he may have been hated and betrayed and beaten and murdered, but Jesus was also crushed, or Jesus also crushed the enemy. 
He crushed the enemy. He defeated sin. He resurrected. Like we know that. We know that Jesus may have been all those things and Jesus might have had to go through what we're going through and we might be, but you got to remember this. He's also the one that defeats death. He's the one that didn't just stay dead. He resurrected and then he ascended. He sits on high at the right hand of God and he's the one leading churches and leading our ministries and leading our church. He's the one leading and guiding our steps for those, every one of us that's in Jesus, for every one of us that's a follower of Jesus. It's him through the power of his Holy Spirit that came and got every one of us. Like, that's Jesus. This is how we know that we can trust him. He says that that for those of us that put our hope in him, in Isaiah, if we put our hope in him, like our strength can be renewed. Our strength is renewed for those of us that, that put our hope in the Lord. Your trial, whatever it is, you, you can be renewed. You can experience renewed strength today. As we go through this series, um, we're going to be in this series for several weeks. And um, uh, as we go through this, I got a challenge for you. I got a, ch- I, I got a challenge for you. This might, seem, this might seem like a big challenge, but, but really, it doesn't take much time at all. I, I, here's my challenge. Every day of this series, every day, not just Sundays, every single day, you're wondering, what, what do I read when I get up in the morning? What am I doing? I'd encourage you to read the entire book of James every day. Every day. I've timed it, okay? If you're, a, if you're, a, if you're a, a, a semi-normal reader, it takes you about 16 minutes to get to the book of James. If you're a slow reader, it takes you about 30 minutes, okay? 16 to 30 minutes. You can get through the whole book of James, five easy chapters. That's my challenge for you through this series. Read the book of James every, every single day. This, this series, this book, addresses, I think, the most practical issues that we face on a daily basis. We're going to talk about temptation. What do I do with temptation? I mean, today we talked about trials. What do I do when life's testing me? What do I do when I'm, you know, just not feeling it? I mean, we all been there. Like, that's what we're talking about. Oh, what do I do about showing favoritism? How easy is that? How easy is it, is, is, is it to give people our attention who we feel like is going to benefit us? Like, that's what he's talking about. We're going to talk about that. How do I speak like Jesus? How do I be devoted like Jesus? How do I know God's will for my life? Like these are all things that James talks about, and I would encourage you. There's no, there's no better way to be transformed into the image of God. There's no way, there's no better way to go from fractured to whole, from, from compromised to complete than, than to get the word of God inside of you. And so I'd encourage you through this. One of my, one of my, my heart for our church, for Freedom Church, is not that we would just show up on Sundays and always just be encouraged, although I hope you're encouraged when you leave here on Sundays. My hope is that we would become literate with Scripture, that we, would, that we would know the Word, that we would understand the Bible. This is God revealed right here. And so that's part of my heart is that you would know this. And I, I'm telling you, you get, the, you get the book of James in you. Uh, you're not just going to know the Word. You're, you're going to know how to, how to put your faith in action, how to get your faith in motion. You're going to see what does it look like when faith begins to work. See, James... James is a good parent. He's like a good parent. I got, I got kids at home. And if you're a parent, you've been down this road too. It's like, I, I try to build some equity with my, with my kids. They ask for things. They, in fact, it's kind of funny. They know when they want something, they usually come to dad because they know dad tries to say yes. I said, like, dad, can we have another treat? I'm like looking around, where's mom at? You see mom anywhere? 
Yes, yes. The answer is yes. I, I'm building up, I'm trying to build up some relational equity there. Because how many of y'all know with kids, there's also those days where you sit down and you just go, hold on a second. Hold on a second. That's not how we, that's not how Jesus speaks. So that's not how we speak. Like that, that doesn't reflect our values as a family. That doesn't reflect our values as followers of Jesus. Like we, we're not going to do that. We're not going to say that. We're not going to go there. We're not going to be this way. We're not going to treat our siblings this way. Right? Like, and, and this is what, this is what James does through the book, through, through this book. This is what he does. He's like a good parent. He comes in there and he just guides and directs and corrects. Listen, there's no better way to become like Jesus than to get his words inside of you. Amen. All right, let me, let me pray for you. Father God, thank you right now that as we begin this series, as we commit to, to, get, to, to move along this process, that our faith would be in motion, that it would be a, a, a faith that's characterized by action. I just thank you right now that, that we would begin to, as we're made aware of maybe the gaps in our integrity, the compromises and the fracturedness in, in our lives, that we would begin through your power of your Holy Spirit to close the gap to fill the the voids. And I just thank you right now that every day, day by day, that we would become more like you. We would become more like Jesus every day. Thank you, Father, for leading us through, through this process in James.